Hello, Bloom Podcasters. We are still the place to be, live, outlast, overcome, and move. Today, we are going to meet a woman that is magnificent. She is amazing, and you are going to love meeting Lachey Johnson. Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. 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 Oh, audience, I am so happy to introduce you or present you, Ms. Lachey Johnson. She is, wow, she's sunshine. She is sunshine. And I can't wait for you all to get to know her. I'm going to give you some of the formal uh, information about her. She's an author, coach, speaker, teacher, and trainer. Uh, She loves God and loves to see his word transform lives. And she faithfully attends and serves her global church, of which she is staffed full-time as the online outreach director. Uh, Lachey is just a girl who loves Jesus and is called to walk alongside others as she shares the principles and promises of God. She's a gifted speaker and teacher, has a heart for the lost, the broken, and forgotten. She holds multiple graduate degrees in education and provides grief recovery coaching. Most recently, uh, she has launched a devotional book, I Need a Refill, sold Amazon. Um, Yeah, so go, go ahead to Amazon and go get that book. And her podcast, the Lachey Johnson Podcast, of which may be found on Anchor and Spotify. She is a proud mother of two beautiful children. I apologize if I mess up your daughter's name, uh, Tahira and son, Aaron. She loves her family and is reminded of her childhood attending R.W. Schombach tent revival meetings with her grandmother, Carmela Kennedy. You can learn more about Lachey by visiting her website, lacheyjohnson.com, and connect with her on Instagram at Lachey109. So those are the uh, beautifully framed pieces of information that, uh, you know, we want to have about anyone. We do want to have the formal background stuff. But I have come to know her as a sister and friend. She has been um, instrumental in helping me reestablish fellowship with women, which is something that is so critical to me. And she is a welcoming heart that loves people and looks to serve and provides a safe space and background for anyone that knows her. So. Um, I've, I've given all the formal stuff and uh, she's probably a little embarrassed. She doesn't really like being talked about, (laughs) but, um, I, I do want you to know, and I always want the audience to know that when I'm interviewing people, um, I'm interviewing people that I believe your heart is safe with Mm. and that, will add to your life. Uh, It is always my intention to add to the lives of the listeners. You um, spend the time here. And um, I talk a lot up front because uh, I'm gonna let 
I always let the, the guests have the floor. So I do my five, 10 minutes and go into mm-hmm, aha and laugh mode <laughs> as we get into it. So everyone, um, welcome a dear, dear person to my heart. Um, she has her own little cavity of my heart. She is a sweetheart and I love her. Um, welcome Lachey Johnson. Thank you so much, Pam. What a warm, warm welcome. And yes, um, I am growing into being comfortable with people sharing all that God is doing in and through me. So thank you so much for the invitation. And I could echo the sentiment of how I feel about you. Oftentimes when I leave your presence, um, I am better. You certainly add value to my life. So I thank you for inviting me. Well, I thank you for accepting the invitation. And um, this is this is kind of like the sit down and uh, chat and chew and have a cup of tea and let's just get into it. Um, so we've shared the formal bio. Now, please share with us a little of your journey in getting where you are today. Huh. <laughs> so I'll behave myself, I promise, because <laughs> you and I, we, we're in other spaces and I know I can kind of go on a tangent, but it has certainly been just that. It's been a journey. Um, you know, I kind of chuckle and I, I laugh because I am living my life out loud. I mean, at least I think I am. You know what I mean? You know, I was born in the church. Um, not sure that my mama was pregnant with me in the church, <laughs> but I feel like I was born in the church. Um, you know, I, I um, shared um, in my bio how I grew up going to tent revivals with my grandmother, Carmela Kennedy, who um, prior to you inviting me to this space um, was still with us. We're actually preparing to um, to celebrate her life this coming Thursday. And I'm so grateful for the seed that she's planted um, in all of our lives, all of her grandchildren and children's lives. So we were in Sunday school and we were in vacation Bible study and we went to the tent revivals. I probably went more than my other cousins because I was just clinging to her skirt. So um, <laughs> my mother who has tried anything and everything um, as, as, as a way of getting to know the creator. I've been in storefront Pentecostal. I've been to Jehovah Witness services. I've been to Seventh Day of Venice. And, you know, I can hear my pastor saying that there's the Jesus in your head and then there is the Jesus that is in your Bible. Mm. And so um, I've been an educator for over 20 some years with multiple graduate degrees. And I recently, Pam, <laughs> and you know this, I recently accepted my call to full-time ministry. And mm -hmm. I'm telling you and anybody who is listening that I was kicking and screaming and God and I had very long conversations. In fact, we are still having conversations <laughs> about what he is asking me to do. And um, anyone who has a relationship and doesn't have a relationship and wants to have a relationship, let me tell you, he doesn't change his mind. Um, he is kind and he is gentle, um, but he does not change his mind. He knew he knew exactly what he was doing when he called me um, with my kicking and my screaming. Um, the church that I currently attend is the church where I went through Change College. And the night of my ordination, um, my pastor said to me, he said, you came here to hide. 
I came to that church to hide. I sat for almost eight years of now my almost 16 years of being a part of the same ministry. And um, God was kind. He was patient and he did not change his mind. I, you know, I often say I'm a classic case of God having the final say. And so when you ask me about my journey and how I got here, there's so much that's in between that. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I did. I wrote my first devo devotional book, I Need a Refill, and I released it in 2018. And even in that, um, it was just a compilation of me saying yes to what he was speaking to and through me um, through my own personal devotional time. And it was just time for me to share that journey. Um, you know, I just recently released the podcast in 2022, uh, which is of this year. And I said, God, OK, you know, I, I'm having fun, but I'm not sure where, where this train is headed, but I'm on it. I'm on it. And, um, you know, God just has a way, Pam, of using all things. And so, you know, my 20 years as a school teacher, a reading specialist, a school administrator, um, you know, I still get a chance to be used in that space because of my kicking and screaming. God knew that I loved being in education and I loved helping and serving children and their families. And so when he called me to full time ministry, that's where that pain was. Because I said, why would you call me from something that you've actually wired me to be really good at? And so he has shown me, Pam, over these last couple of years of me saying yes to him, that he does really work all things together. So I'm still getting to use those skills, those talents, those resources, my relationships um, in the educational community to even serve in my current capacity. Um, you know, I'm coaching people through grief. And so that's a form of what he taught me as a school administrator when I was coaching parents who had to make very difficult decisions about their children and their academic course. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you, and you said it, I am more in love with God today than I've ever been. And this pandemic has certainly made the scripture of separating the wheat from the tear, um, you know, having buildings being closed and not having regular fellowship it chokes me up and it almost makes me tear up to, to see what he's done in and through me in these last two years of increasing my hunger um, and my intimacy of loving him in such a way that I cannot get enough of his word and enough of his presence. And so, you know, we're talking about a journey, you know? Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I can keep going, but I'm yes. so in love with him. I'm currently reading the new living translation chronological Bible. And um, I'm currently reading Leviticus and anyone who's ever read that, you know, it's not an easy read, but he's showing me the importance of order and following um, his directions and the difference between being clean and unclean and how to purify. And it's just, it's wonderful. And anybody who wants to listen, I share that good news of who he is getting us back to Genesis one and two. Um, you know, the garden life where there was no shame, no guilt, no comparison. You just, you felt this pure freedom of living um, in communion with him. So I love it. Anyone, anyone I can share that with, I, I love to share it with. So I am more in love with him today <laughs> than I've ever been. Well, you, you said something and I, I want to go back to it. Um, you know, you and I know this and we won't get into all the details of it, but we have very parallel paths. Mm -hmm. um, you know, me also having been um, a classroom teacher, um, you know, having, uh, you know, a, a graduate degree uh, in, you know, the education area and uh, something that I, you know, as I read your bio, bio um, my, it was my grandmother, my father's mother, who um, was just that one that always 
helped me. I always wanted to go to church. Mm-hmm. And she always was the one that said, if you want to go, we're going. And so uh, they belong to a church, but I also went to the Sunday school and their Saturday school. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes you don't understand. It's only in retrospect that you can see the hand of God in your life. Uh, you know, I also had a, a struggle with ministry, but um, I'm doing it uh, to the, to my capacity and understanding at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still taking shape. But one of the things that I, I would love for you to talk about and go into a little further is that yes, saying yes. Mm-hmm. And the I have found it to be an unfolding yes, mm-hmm. an elevating yes. So my yes becomes more as I go along and submit. So please tell us your experience with saying yes to God. Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, You know, it's really been a a compilation of yeses. You know, Um, I find that I wake up in the morning and I give the day to him. You know what I mean? Um, And I'm asking him, what is it that he wants from me to do on this day? And being able to sit still and really listen to what he's saying and to what he's not saying is helping me to make connections. And sometimes in that moment, Pam, I don't always know um, if I'm getting it right, but I so trust the providential way of his orchestrating, right? Mm. He's a sovereign God. You know, I think about how when you read the book of Esther and while he is never mentioned, he is very much present. And so he's always in the background orchestrating all these steps. And so there are things that take place that we think are insignificant, but Oh, thank you, Jesus. It all, (laughs) it all matters to Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And, um, to be able to have that sensitivity and that discernment. I'll give you one example, you know, yesterday, and I, and I hope I'm answering the question yesterday, um, you know, someone has shared something about someone else and it was very personal and private. Mm. And I know the person and I know the person that it has impacted, mm-hmm. but the discernment of God, because I asked for it said, go back and ask that person, is it okay for me to reach out to them? And then they responded to me, great question, let me ask, because I don't know if they want others to know. Okay. And I said to them, thank God for discernment. You know, we think of the scripture that, you know, his word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And so as I read his word, Pam, to say yes to him, that's how I'm saying yes. I'm getting clarity from spending time with him and reading his word And he's giving me the direction, just enough light to step on for that day. And while I can be, you know, a type A personality, I've also learned, I don't know if your audience is familiar with something called an Enneagram. I've also learned that I'm an Enneagram five, which is a thinker and a researcher. And so when I align that logical part of it with the spiritual part of it, which is the discerning part of it, it's me being being lockstep with what he's saying today. to be present in today. Mm -hmm. And so a man can plan, but God is the one that's going to direct this path. So it's a, it's a dance that, that I do with him, but it's every single day that I'm reaching and I'm asking for him to tell me, what is it that you want me to do today? 
And I think, you know, as you, as I listen to what you say and um, actually uh, <laughs> to the podcast that uh, came out on um, February 21 is discussing doing the new and mm. going back to David and talking about how David had the same enemy. He's always fighting the Philistines, mm -hmm. always fighting the Philistines, but in, in the wisdom and humility, he asks God every time, shall I prevail mm -hmm. and how shall I attack? Mm -hmm. He doesn't assume that because it's the same enemy and the same God and the same David, that God has the same strategy each mm -hmm. and every time for him pursuing the enemy, even though it's the same enemy. So good. And I, I, as I listen to you, what I hear, I hear a couple of things. I hear just because you have knowledge of a thing mm -hmm. doesn't mean that is, it's not the same as wisdom. Mm -hmm. Wisdom said, use your discernment and ask if I can say something. Mm -hmm. And so because you did, you avoided what could have made an uncomfortable situation for everyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it it's about you know as you and yes you are absolutely answering the question as you say yes to God and what I'm also hearing is that again it is a constant state of humility mm -hmm. um, and also it is not assuming mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so you you could not afford to assume that uh, yesterday's daily bread was going to be today's daily bread. Right. Exactly. You know, I'm listening, you know, I don't know how much time we have Pam, but I'll behave and I'll follow you. But this is such <laughs> a great, it's, a, it's such a great conversation. You know, I remember years ago, um, I was working for a ministry and we used to have devotionals in the morning. And I remember I was a young girl in my early twenties and I went to the altar and back then, you know, I didn't have any, uh, approach to how I was going to get through reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, getting to know him. And so I would do that method of flip it open, whatever, whatever page it landed on. Mm -hmm. That was what he wanted to say to me. Mm -hmm. And again, those are the things that we think aren't important because now we some 20 years later and I still refer to Proverbs 19 to where it says even zeal is not good without knowledge and the mm -hmm. one who is hastily they will sin. So we can have an understanding about God. We can, I mean, we can be on fire for God and excited about the things of God, but not necessarily understand the workings of God, which is why I encourage people to slow down and to open their Bibles and to read it and pray that the Holy Spirit will give them revelation and knowledge of what the Spirit of God is saying because yes, you see these principles in the scripture that helps us today. You know, I'm thinking about Moses and how he talked to the Israelites before they even started to build the tabernacle. The first thing he said to them was about them resting. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but because you you also said something else about the humility, right? That is that is the posture of a student. And mm -hmm. that's that's been me. And so in the marketplace, here I am, an educator, but was always in the posture of wanting to learn. So even if I was a classroom teacher or a lead teacher or a school administrator, I always wanted to be able to walk alongside other people in a place where I was willing to hear from them. I could be the one in authority who we know God has all authority, but mm -hmm. I need to be able to hear from the people that I'm walking alongside with. Yeah. So remaining in that posture of being teachable is a heart that is pliable to be able to receive 
what you are hearing, sensing, and feeling through the scriptures and your your intimate time with God. So, yeah, good stuff. My God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> well, it is, and it, it just, you know, um, and, you know, we, we, we have a format, but we go, we, we flow with the Holy Ghost. So, you know, when it takes us, uh, he takes us on a different trajectory, then we just go with it. Um, and so there are certain things that, yes, we are going to cover, but I, I have to also stay in this moment mm-hmm. because what I also heard was being a servant leader mm. and and not just, you know, I, I, I feel that people have misdiagnosed and um, and poorly or wrongly, really wrongly defined leadership. And mm-hmm. Jesus says that, you know, the one who would be greatest would be servant of all, mm-hmm. right? And and we have a concept of leadership that says, you know, I'm the big kahuna, do what I say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus's concept of leadership is I'm the big kahuna, so I look to see what the people need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I already know, I know who I am. I don't just say who mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. I know who I am. I mm-hmm. don't have to prove it. Yeah. So as you, um, and I've, I've witnessed you as a servant leader, um, talk, we'll just, just a few minutes, just talk about being um, that servant leader, that combination of wisdom, discernment, servant leadership, um, being pliable, and humility. How does that all work together as you serve, as you lead the people through serving the people in your um, position in ministry? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Wow. I, uh, wow. I'm so humbled by that um, because sometimes it's encouraging to be able to hear what other people see, and so I think about you know Jesus washing the feet you know, what a great example of servant leadership. Um, I think about Paul, where he was uh, a brilliant man who spoke various languages and can run with the best of them. And yet, you know, he had to remind the people, even as I am also, I'm following Christ. So as I'm following him, he wants, wants those that he's leading and talking to, to follow. And so I just think it's really important to remember the why, um, we do what we do. You know, I'm in the middle of reading this book now, Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High, and understanding that while that's a that could be seen as a marketplace book, I'm filling my well so that I can serve well. And so there are times when you are in ministry and because we are all human, you bring that human aspect to that arena. And for some reason, sometimes we don't expect for humanity to show up. But if you've been in church long enough, you know that it will show up and it'll show just how much Jesus you really have. Mm -hmm. And so I think we model um, for those that we lead by example. Um, I was just on a call the other day sharing with someone how important it is for us to honor and um, the church that we attend, you know, we are taught to honor up, to honor down and to honor all the way around. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was a school administrator and when I was a school teacher, I remember them saying, you know, you honor everybody, you know, from the secretary to the janitorial staff, the the secretary has your paycheck and the janitorial (laughs) has toilet paper. And so you want to be kind 
to those people and don't be so suchy much. And so I just think you treat people with love. Um, it is by that love that they are drawn and they get to see and become very curious about what expression of love is that coming from. Even when you are faced with people who have mistreated you, when you are dealing with people who have um, come after you in a way and you know that they have done you wrong and yet and still you extend grace towards them, the same grace that God extends towards us. And so that it's the modeling of what it is to represent Christ. And so whether it's, you know, um, me being a leader and being on staff and being on stage and all the things that people might think is way more important. If somebody need me to change the toilet paper in that bathroom, I know where the key is at. And I know where the toilet paper is at. And just as early as yesterday, you know, I went and I found the Clorox wipes and I was wiping the table down. So there's nothing too big or too small um, for those who are called to the kingdom and to lead in that way. But we model and then people are watching. Um, you know, my family is grieving and um, preparing to celebrate uh, my grandmother's life. I get to model what it's like to be a believer and to understand life and death and to be patient. And so I've extended um, the request to those who have reached out to us to say like, hey, pray for love, pray for unity as we all have the common goal, the outcome to celebrate her life. So it's in the modeling that I think, you know, they say more is caught than taught. And so your children are watching you. Um, The people in Target are watching you. Um, When I leave out of Wegmans, instead of leaving my cart next to the other car, I take the cart back to the actual place where the carts belong. And so there's nothing too big or nothing too small and everything in between, um, not wanting to miss that opportunity of what it is to be a servant and to represent Christ. You know, Christ Christ walked around. I remember watching uh, Chosen Mm -hmm. where the little kids came and he was building, you know, and I'm looking at him going into this tent and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, now I need a bed. I need a pillow (laughs) and I need some blankets because they ain't going to work for me, you know? And I was just so encouraged to see the fortitude and the clarity and the focus of him knowing what he was walking in. And so, you know, we can do that as leaders and um, allow other people to see that humility Um, Not pretension, not mask, because, you know, some people put it on and they take it off um, and it will show because out of the mouth, um, the heart always speaks and the expression of what one does will be displayed and we'll know if that fruit is really low hanging fruit and if if they're bearing the fruit of Christ. So, um, yeah, that's 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 how I see it. It's it's the modeling of, of letting other people see what it is to represent Christ in the earth. And so to do what he did to live, love and lead. That's something we say in our church to do. Do what he did to live, love, and lead like he did. You have to know him. Yes. You have to know his nature. Um, and so he was a lion and a lamb. So I don't want any, any of your listeners to be confused about that. So understanding the narrative and the space that you're in um, and then knowing, you know, we see these bumper stickers. What would Jesus do? Right. You know, you'll know how to respond to that. I think the biggest thing is to model and, rep- and represent him in the earth according to who he is in the Bible and not in our heads. <laughs> Ooh, I could go far on that, but uh <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, okay. Um a little a little bit of a turn, and we mm-hmm. certainly want to offer our condolences, and we already already have, but you know, presently we offer our condolences um on the transition of your grandmother 
And one of the areas of your life is coaching people through grief. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to share because I don't think that people really understand what grief is. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to share um, what is grief and why is it important for us to deal with it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, You know, I try to keep it simple in explaining that grief is the loss or the change of any pattern that has caused any kind of discomfort. And sometimes we want to think it's only in the death of an individual, but it's the loss and the change in the pattern of anything that brings mm-hmm. you discomfort and often trying to make sense of that loss, often trying to make sense of that change and that disruption. And so it is natural for our hearts to feel broken because of that loss. Mm-hmm. And because of that, one might think, meaning they're using their head to resolve the brokenness of their heart. And the reality of it is, is that grief is not logical. It is an emotional phase that someone will go through. And some people, sometimes they experience shock. Sometimes they experience disbelief. They might experience anger or sadness or confusion. It's a whole range of emotions. And often what it's leading up to is some unfinished communication. And the unfinished communication may not always lead to the current loss. It may be connected to other loss. So a part of the work that I do with um, coaching people through grief is really to do the heart work Mm. and heart work is hard work. And so to be able to talk about how to deal with grief one, you know, some people is like, it's better to grieve than to ignore, right. To to pretend. Um, I've heard in some circles, uh, you are as sick as your secrets or, you know, during loss, people make these logical statements. Like I know how you feel. Um, it will get better in time. And one might know that, but they may not know the intimate space between one's heart and their outward experience from that loss. So telling someone that it'll get better in time is like them inviting them to not even think about it 10 years later. <laughs> right. Time has passed. So it should right. Just- so it's like, don't you don't even think about it. But the healthiness of being able to process that, um, you know, it's like the child who comes home and they say, um, you know, such and such was picking on me and they're feeling this sadness. And I'm not even going to go there because I'm reading this other book called The Soul of Shame, um, retelling the stories these stories that we tell to ourselves that um, there's this neuroplasticity that we we lay over in our brain when we tell these stories over and over and over again that we don't even realize how they trigger us into our adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. But what I can tell you is that it is possible to recover from it, but you got to first do the heart work of being able to acknowledge the emotional feeling that you are experiencing mm-hmm. and not the logical of this too shall pass. Because it sounds good, but it's not true. And Mm. so we have to be very conscious about how we allow people to grieve. And sometimes your presence is just enough. When you, when you don't know what to say, your presence can simply just be enough. And so, you know, God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be emotionally healthy. And so again, when I think about grief, it is the loss or the change or a pattern that causes discomfort. And it is often trying to make sense of the loss, the change and the disruption. And it's not always necessarily that an individual has passed. See, when we think of grief, that's the first thing people go to, but grief is loss period. Yes. And how do you manage that loss? Being able to do the hard work. And what I have found, Pam, is that typically when I walk people through this six week process, 
And we do um, these two different diagrams of really tracking the history of their childhood and points of trauma. Their way of grieving with the current situation has often been connected to unfinished communication to another loss. Mm. I walked a couple through last year who um, lost their brother. And at the end of our time together, you know, we want to write a letter to this space of grief. Now, the letter could be to the person that you are currently grieving. And the woman thought that that's what it was going to be because that was safe. And I knew it, but it wasn't my job to tell her that she thought it would be safer to write the letter to that person. But by the time we were done, she ended up writing the letter to her mother. And it just it transformed the whole conversation because we had to get to connecting the bridges to this unfinished communication of a previous loss that was now triggering and showing itself up in the current loss, which was um, not allowing her to grieve well. Well, I, I want you to, um, I'm asking for a lot of definitions today, <laughs> but I think it's important, again, I need the audience to get it. So, so, so re, or jump into the definition of unfinished communication. Mm -hmm, Tell mm -hmm. us about that. So the unfinished communication is where you have hit a place of loss or change or disruption and pattern. And instead of addressing it, you mask it. Mm. And so what, what we invite people to do is to be honest about places where they felt abandoned, where they did not feel heard and where they left room open for that healing to continue. I mean, the, the disruption of the pain to continue on. And we're not, and that's why I said, I'm reading this book about crucial conversations. And um, it's funny, I just actually just started it. And so, you know, it, it, crucial conversations basically is a discussion between two or more people in which they hold opposing opinions, right? And then your emotions are running strong. And so when you don't have the language to be able to communicate what it is that you're saying, you leave room for, for the pain to continue on. Yes. Wow. And so you have to find a way to find the language that's communicating what is happening in your heart, which has been broken as a result of this disruption, of this discomfort, of this sense of loss or change in your life. You know, um, it's like uh, you you giving uh, lending money to a family member, which I've decided not to do because it's easier for me to just give it to you than to fall out with you. Right. <laughs> and uh, just on that, uh, I, I, and don't don't forget uh, what you're gonna say. Um, I had a very wise woman who uh, she, her she and her husband are millionaires, and she said to me years ago, probably 25 years ago, Pam, never lend money that you can't just give away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. way, you know, if you think of it as a gift and it comes back to you from the person, fine. But if you always think of it as a gift then you're not looking for gifts to be returned. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And all I was going to just go back and say was that um, I read this quote by George Bernard Shaw, and he said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has actually taken place. Wow. 
<laughs> you understand? Ooh. And so I think we just, you know, and no one wants to really have those conversations. And to be quite honest, it's typically with family that we struggle with. You know, when you're on your job, you don't find yourself struggling. And I would almost even venture to say, Pam, that people struggle to have those hard conversations in churches because it's like Jesus loves us. He sure does. But if he needed to call something to order, he did that. Yes. So we can't back off from that. And so um, to answer that question about the unfinished communication, again, this is the space where we invite people to this is the act. It's actually the final part of the process where after they've gone through the weeks of, you know, doing reflection and really digging and making connections of points of loss and, you know, patterns that they've seen in their family and they're making all these other connections, you know, they take that and then they begin to make some significant statements. And from those significant statements, they put together a letter that helps them to finish the communication. And maybe, you know, by the end of that, um, you know, at the end of that letter, they may, you know, be saying something like, you know, I'm done having this conversation for now. It was good that I was able to share this with you. Mm. So the language of me saying like, I'm not, I've, I've said what I needed to say about this. And here's the thing. This is the thing that's so beautiful, right? The other part of it is, is that they don't even have to give the letter to someone. This is just them doing the, pro going through the process of being able to get clear about what it is that has not been completed. Wow. You know, um, incompleteness can look like a lot of different things for people. Um, I think about uh, this young woman who recently um, had lost her husband um, last year and um, she um, was working a lot. And what I said to her, that's considered a short term energy reliever. You're 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 avoiding the pain of losing your husband but the conversation really needed to be, by the time we got done, it really needed to be had with her, her parents because she was either the oldest sibling or the middle sibling, but she was the strongest of them all. And they all kept turning to her. So she didn't even know that it was okay for her to feel the pain she was feeling for the loss of her husband. Because when she was growing up, they always like, pull your pants up mm -hmm. and you the strongest. And we're always turning to you. So you don't, you don't, you don't even know what grief, grieving looks like because you were always told to get it together. So we go through a relationship graph um, and the purpose of that relationship graph is to help people to really tap into um, and review and, and discover what is unfinished in those relationships. Um, you know, death doesn't necessarily mean the end of a uh, death is the end of a physical relationship that we've had, but we still have these emotional pieces that are connected. And so we try to help people define what that looks like and then also come to the place of completion. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Cause there's, there's so much. So we're, we're going to, uh, audience, we're taking a hard left here. Uh, but we'll still have the strand of God and, and what he does and how he wants to operate in our lives through the whole of this conversation. So I want to shift to us talking about just a girl who loves Jesus. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about that. Tell me how that developed and um, I'm sure you've touched on it, but just give us a little bit more about what that means to you mm. and have uh, encouraged others in this. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, wow. So again, this was another yes that I gave to God. And um, I was sitting and I was writing and I was asking him what he wanted me to do next. Because just a girl who loved Jesus really was birthed um, in the pandemic, during the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic. And I was falling in love with him. And that's what came to me. And so it felt like a flame that I wanted to, a fire that I wanted to continue to flame because I felt that there were people who were dying on the vine um, when the building started to close around the world, not just in our area. Um, I just felt like I wanted to lock arms with others and um, encourage them that this is the time to lean in. And he wants to speak to us because he's not caught by surprise by the condition of the world. Neither was he caught by surprise of COVID-19. And so, you know, there was an opportunity for us to really lean in and hear what God needed to say. And so just a girl who loves Jesus is like this simple girl who's just showing up, sharing her imperfect, um, you know, life with other people. Um, you know, I created the space to, to share my love for God, um, for his word and for his people. And it's really still unfolding. You know, we currently have a private, uh, Facebook group and, um, we have probably maybe 84 women who are there, but then there's another core of us who get together and we connect more intimately. Um, in the last two days I've had two, Um, young women come to me saying, um, I need a mentor and I need a coach. And what I said to them, thank you, Father. um, What I said to them was what I've learned is that um, I'm called to do life with people. And as soon as you start to put labels of coaching and mentoring, sometimes there's these expectations that we will meet on this day at this time at this location. And that's just not the season um, that I am in. And neither do I feel called to that type of commitment. And so I'm always very clear about what I'm able to offer and what I'm not able to offer. And so um, when I offered and extended to do life with both of these ladies, their response could have only been God. Like there was an aha for them. And then as a result of that, I invited them to the private Facebook group. Um, and, you know, I said to them, you know, we we come together, we connect. Um, we're currently um, reading through the book of Romans. But, you know, the best way that I can describe it is that I fell so deeply head over heels in love with God that that's just what came out of my heart. I mean, it it chokes me up every time I think about just a girl who loves Jesus, because that really, you know, I'm a woman, I'll soon to be 50, God will, but I feel very childlike in love with him. And um, I want to share that love with other people. And um, just the mere fact that I do have people seeking to be coached or mentored by me, and I don't feel called to do that um, in this season, but I do feel called to walk through life with them. That space was created for that. And so, um, you know, you show up and we do life together. You know, God does the rest of it, Pam. You know that. Um, And so, um, yeah. And then, you know, I have my, my website which I had renamed just to have my name trying to keep consistency. So LacheeJohnson.com, you know, where I blog and, you know, I also have other resources there um, for people to be able to connect and do life with me, you know, in that way. And then, you know, Twitter and all the other things. So I feel like they, I tried to keep them all tied together where I share a little bit of my silliness on one of my, Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, people that I hang out with. She calls it foolery. Um, you know, my son learning to drive and, you know, just sharing my life, my imperfect life out loud, quite honestly, you know. Um, but yeah, most importantly, I just fell head over heels in love with him. And I was like, I want to share this with others because I feel that, you know, people, people are dying on the vine and I want to be an encouragement, um, and, and to keep that bridge, um, to the body, um, as God chooses to use me. Yeah. And I think, uh, one of the things that, one of the ways that we fall in love with Jesus, and, and this has been my experience, is that certain scriptures start to jump out at me. Mm-hmm. And I had, um, I think it's Romans, Romans in the eighth chapter, and it's Ephesians and either the first or second chapter, um, perhaps the third, perhaps the third. Uh, but what what jumped out for me in Ephesians was that um there was no discerning the height, length, or depth of God's love for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in Romans, what jumped out to me was there's no separating me from God's love. So it's it's too, you know, some people, <laughs> you may think about, um, you know, the lyrics in One Nation Under a Groove, where it talks <laughs> about so high, you can't uh-huh. get so low. And that's what God's love is like. Like there's no getting around it and there's no separating yourself from it. Mm-hmm. But I got to that and, and that made me chase after him. And I, I began to say, God's love is bottomless, mm. right? Like you, if you fell into God's love, it would be a bottomless pit. You just keep falling. You wouldn't have to worry about landing. Mm-hmm. You would just keep falling. And so now I'm thinking about Alicia Keys and you keep falling in love, right? So, um, you know, it is, but it, I would say that I got there because of consistently diving into God's mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, what is the importance of studying God's word? Listen, I, I shared it earlier. You know, I heard my pastor say that we've had the Jesus of our head and then there's the Jesus of the Bible. And that just really hit me mm. deeply in my chest because I've been in church all my life. And, um, you know, I was serving the God of my family mm-hmm. that they presented to me. I mean, I, I went to church right. and I went to Bible study and I went to vacation Bible study and I went to the tent revivals. I did all of those things. You mm-hmm. know, we checked the box, you know, Easter came and all the girls, we lined up, we got our hair pressed, we got baby breath in our hair. And, <laughs> you know, we took the pictures, we did all the things, you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yes. But I did not know the Messiah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did not know the Messiah. I did not understand the types and shadows of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Mm. Mm. And I'd been praying for the hunger of God, an insatiable appetite for his word and his presence for years. It's one of our eight, seven culture at the church I attend. And I've been praying it for, for years, years. I have been praying for it. I said, God, I want to know this word, I need to know the difference between Moses and Abraham. I need to know the lineage. All of this is important. Yes. And that's why I can read Leviticus and know that this is like so difficult and I'm getting ready to read numbers and that's going to be even more, but all of it matters. Yes. 
It all matters, Pam. And so the importance of studying God's word, it's not about writing a book. It's not about a podcast. It's not about holding a microphone in your hand. It's about knowing the Messiah and knowing that he came that we could have life and life, not just to say, see, it's not until you start to live the scripture and it comes alive for you that you feel the manifestation of who he is and yet to become. He's fulfilled so much for us. I mean, even this morning when I was reading about the day of atonement and I'm just like all these sacrifices that they're made, I just keep seeing blood, 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 blood. And every year they had to do it. And then he came to fulfill it once and for all. Yes. And I wanna be able to speak that with conviction and clarity. And I can't do that, Pam, if I don't know what his word says. I can quote a few scriptures, but if I don't know the context and the time, you know, what's the difference between exegeting and eisegeting the text? If I don't understand the contextual time and who he was speaking to, I'm going to miss the application for my own transformation in 2022. Exactly. So, so I get excited about opening my Bible because I can have conversations. I can evangelize. I can, I can invite people to Christ with a different conviction because I'm not just requoting a scripture that, you know, I heard someone say in a Sunday sermon or, you know, something that I heard someone else. No, I read it and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You know, I heard uh, 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 Bishop Jakes said this. He said, you know, study yourself full, think yourself clear, pray yourself hot, and then let yourself go. I cannot speak with conviction and confidence when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ if I don't open my Bible. So whether I open it for five minutes or for five hours or anything that's in between, I need to open my Bible for myself. And so I just started this journey and I'm still, I'm so babe, I'm still a babe at it, but I'm so excited. And I I pray that God would temper it so that I don't, um, you know, be so excited that I scare people off because you see how my inflection, my tone just kind of went up. It's like, why is it important? Because I need, I need to know him. Well, I, I, I'm going to jump in a little bit and say, you know, your, um, your fire is infectious so yes, I understand that there are people who might um, get a little afraid because they haven't had the experience of the gospel being red hot, right? And I mean, red in terms of fire and red in terms of R-E-A-D. Mm-hmm. You read mm-hmm. until you get hot with a flame, mm-hmm. right, for him. And one of one of my scriptures that, um, I deal with because I have had the sad occasion of hearing how people depart the faith because of the way that it was presented to them mm-hmm. consistently. And uh, in Mark 7, it says, and I'm kind of quoting the, the uh, NIV version, you nullify mm-hmm. the word of God. Your traditions nullify the word of God. And it it really goes on to say, and you do this in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so... I have heard people who have left the faith because uh, they were presented with a gospel of racism Mm -hmm. that, you know, we we just hate all black people and black Mm -hmm. people are not of God. Lies, lies, lies. Um, We hate 
you know, we, we, we put women in this place because that's where God wants them. Lies, lies, lies. We do this, we do that, we do the other. Um, we say no to 99% of everything and we got a half of an eye on the other 1%. And, you know, it's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen other things where people have, you know, what is clearly stated in scripture uh, and, and, and people act as if it's not. And it's repeatedly clearly. I mean, for me, when there's repetition, that says pattern. This is mm. this is what God wants. And so, um, you know, on both sides of it, we have erred because we have misrepresented the scripture and mm-hmm. then and thereby mis- misrepresenting God. So mm-hmm. for your passion to get into it, to get into the word of God really allows you and to honestly, again, we come back to the same thing, humility. Mm. You're not searching the scriptures so that you can find a way to put people down or put people in a place mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. manipulate people. You're mm-hmm. searching the scripture. So what God says is what you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> but I want to I want to ask you um, in your role um you know, uh, as a, as a staff pastor, mm-hmm. how has this challenged you? How has it enriched your life? And what have you learned about yourself through this mm-hmm. ministry opportunity? Yeah, great questions. Um, you know, the role has challenged me one, because like I said to you, the day that he spoke to me and said that this is happening, whether you like it or not, I cried like a baby. <laughs> I remember standing in front of a, one of our locations in New Jersey and um, I turned to two people and I said, God just said to me that this is happening, whether I want it to or not. I felt the break. And so the thought that I was walking away from 20 years of a career that I love and I was good at, um, you know, it just it just it, it was a challenge for me. Um, and so I began to, again, increase my reading and listening to um to his word um reading different books on leadership what i felt the 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 lane that he was calling me to um you know i would listen to podcasts that would help me in the areas that i was being stretched in because you know coming from the marketplace after 20 some years and then going into ministry um and being a leader and being a female that's a whole nother podcast conversation all by itself um you know introducing practices that you use in the marketplace oftentimes what i found i just was reading this barna group um report where it talks about the larger that a ministry gets they typically shun away or they're shy away from bureaucratic processes but you need to put systems in place and so no one likes to have that conversation so that was really challenging um, for me to to find the delicate balance to bring my marketplace experience into ministry yet knowing that as the ministry was growing it was necessary um, to be able to have that voice and be able to share the infrastructure so that we can serve people better um, and in excellence quite honestly you know the the scripture that we kind of stand on this first Kings 10, where we serve as a breathtaking ministry. Well, in order for us to be able to do that, we're not this or that, we're this and that. Mm. And so I was really glad that while I was yet being challenged, I, I also was being stretched to be able to um, to have that voice. So that was challenging for me to bring my marketplace voice um, to the marketplace, I mean, to ministry. And as it relates to how it has enriched my life, you know, again, I'm walking alongside others 
who are trusting me with private matters. And so while we know in the Old Testament, the veil was torn. And so we all have access to Christ. I'm always humbled by people's requests for me to walk with them through some of the toughest seasons in their lives. And so it is, again, it's humbled me to know that God has chosen me to use me as a vessel, often feeling like broken shard glass, um, to walk with people knowing that they have the same access that I do, but there's something that he's placed on the inside of me, a gift, a talent, um, the resource to be able to pour back and to give into others. So, you know, it, I, I'm just humbled by that. Um, you know, what have I learned? about myself through this opportunity. Again, it takes me back to my childhood. Everybody else around me, like they, you know, they come to the ordination, they, they see me, you know, with my, uh, my collar on, um, which I haven't worn and I don't know how many years, but you know, it's like all y'all knew I'm the only one that didn't know that this was getting ready, <laughs> that this was getting ready to happen. <laughs> so, you know, um, I just find it just so interesting that everybody around me knew, um, that I would be here and that I didn't, um, that God, um, you know, he, he knew all of my missteps, Pam, all of, um, you know, my imperfections, all of the poor choices that I made that, um, you know, the thing that is so beautiful is that walking with Godfidence, um, and, and my need to, to fill my well, um, my, my hunger to reading his word daily, it's just, it's, it's giving me this, this dependency on him. And this is what I'm learning. Cause when I was not in him, I thought I had all the answers, all the degrees that were hanging on the wall, my ability to articulate my ability to, um, you know, connect with the right people and have access and influence. But what I've learned so beautifully is that I am 100% relying on him to get me through each moment from day to day. Wow. Okay, well, we are going to shift again and uh, go into our two last questions. Uh, this season has been dedicated to comfort um, in uh, just honoring the book that I have out now called The Comfort, um, dealing with, yes, delicious soup recipes, but also my story of uh, handling grief and, and how God helped me through the um, death of my parents through soup, right? And if you want to understand that, you get the book and you'll see how that was used. But we are doing what we're calling the comfort corner. And so I have a few areas and I want you to pick the one that stands out to you today. Mm -hmm. um, what's most significant to you about either comfort as relaxation comfort as complacency or unwillingness to change and or getting out of the comfort zone, uh, care, healing or assurance, community, uplift and outreach or peace. So okay. which one of those areas is most significant to you today and share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Um, you know, even as you were saying it, I was taking note of um, all the different areas. Um, and the, I mean, two of them really stand out to me, um, relaxation and peace. But for, for today, I like to share that relaxation and, and really what that means to me is not necessarily like, you know, I got my legs kicked up somewhere on the beach, but that's fine too. What comes to me is just thinking about Sabbath and mm. how it was made for man. And I mentioned earlier in our conversation that before the building of the tabernacle, Moses said, in Exodus 35, 1, 3, it says, Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, 
These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. And then in verse two, for six days, work is to be done. But on the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. And whoever does any work on it um, will be put to death. And verse three, do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So Sabbath to me and relax, when I think of relaxation, I think of Sabbath. And what I what I think of is what Peter Scazzaro, um, one of the uh, writers of Emotionally Healthy um, Leader, he talks about um, withdrawing from paid and unpaid work. Mm. Okay, so when you get to verse three, when it says do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day, I mean, that's housework. Mm-hmm. So that's the unpaid. You understand? So that's the way I receive. That's the unpaid mm-hmm. of it. But if you go up to verse two, for whoever does any work on it is put to death. So it's not necessarily the physical death, and that's why even tying back into the whole grief part of any kind of change, disruption, a pattern um, that brings you any kind of um, uh, disruption or discomfort, right? And so, thank you, Father. And so, when I think about the importance of rest in this season. I can't do and be well to myself and for those that I've been called to without it. Otherwise, I will find myself um, operating on fumes and that is the putting to death. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so not to go too deeply into that, but certainly relaxation to me really means Sabbath and God didn't make Sabbath for him. He made it for us. And to be able to honor that, um, I am still learning to really completely unplug uh, a full 24 hours. And that's from paid and unpaid work so that I can be well enough for myself. This is self-care, well enough for myself so that I am well enough for those that I lead in my home, in my community, in my church. Um, and so that's really, really something that I lean into and anyone who knows me knows that I protect that at all costs, um, unapologetically, um, even when it comes to my evening routines, Pam, um, I turn things off, notifications off so that I can come down and refresh and replenish myself. And so the last thing that I'll say, as I mentioned, relaxation is not necessarily me kicking up my feet, but just delighting in his creation. Mm. And being able to look around and take in the red bird that flies, you know, in my backyard when I open up my curtain, I just I get so delighted by seeing that um, because I'm reminded of the scripture of, you know, being able to rest in him, mm-hmm. um, knowing that he cares for he cares for me. He says, come unto me, all do all those who are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you And one one version says I will show you what it is like to take a rest. Mm. And so I am very blessed um, that that is that is in my heart, um, you know, and I'm learning to not be uh, so uh, explaining to others um, because I say unapologetic. But there are times when I'm just like, I have to help you understand today is my Sabbath. And so, you know, if you want access to me, here's the windows and times that I'm available. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. Finally, um, your closing thoughts. What do you want to leave with our audience? Oh, great. I love this. Thank you again, Pam. I I really appreciate it. I feel blessed by by this conversation. You know, I would say to your listeners, open your Bible, open it every day, whether it's five minutes or however long. Um, Like I said, I'm reading the New Living Translation Bible and it gives me my day's read, which helps me. Um, doesn't take me long to get through two or three pages. So it's great. Um, people can use the Version app that have different, um, Bible, uh, devotionals on there that are, that are, you know, within t- 
time that someone can spend. So open your Bible. Um, I pray for hunger and intimacy um, that God would give your listeners an insatiable appetite for God and for his presence. I pray that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes to understand his word. Um, it is the most beautiful story about redemption. And so, um, yes, open your Bibles every day. It doesn't matter how long, um, but get to know him and pray that the Lord would just increase that hunger for his presence and for his word as you are getting to know him through his word and see yourself in the story and then Mm -hmm. knowing who he is in your life. Well, audience, I love her and I know you do too now. (laughs) Thank you, Lachey Johnson. We appreciate you. Um, We just, we appreciate you. We could go on and talk about it a lot more, but we just finished the interview. So I just say, I, I appreciate you. And to the audience, as I always invite you, come on, let's grow together.